This is the Oracle, and you are listening to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And please stay strong, Dopey Nation. And don't use drugs. Toodles. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And that was the Oracle uh, from the third Matrix movie. It was not the first Oracle. It was the second Oracle. And uh, she was kind enough to send a message to the Dopey Nation. I hope you guys are good. I'm at my dad's house. I'm in my childhood bedroom where I actually Skyped a few messages with... uh, Chris, who uh, we all know has passed away from a relapse. And, you know, everybody's like, Dave, I hope you're okay, and I hope you're not going to relapse, which I do appreciate. And um, I think it's very, very nice and cool that so many people are so concerned about me. And I tell everybody that I am not close to using, and that's true. Um, But it's easy to say that. And I feel like it's easy to say that... um, Right now, because I'm really not close to using, I'm not close to relapsing, but like it's very important to know that uh, it's possible, you know what I mean? Like me telling myself that I'm not close to relapsing, I mean like listen, I'm not fucking close to relapsing, but any drug addict uh, is close to relapsing, I guess. Nobody is innocent, nobody is, is safe, but I do feel pretty safe, you know, I have to say that. I guess I'm saying two things at the same time. Um, I went to a meeting today. It was great. It wasn't like the best meeting I ever went to. And I totally got there a little bit late and sat in the back, but the power of a fellowship is real. And even if you hate fucking 12 step groups and you hate meetings and you hate the idea of being a part of something like that, uh, if you're struggling, you should just fucking go. You know, you're, I mean, forgive me for saying this, but you're basically an idiot if you just say you hate it and you don't want to use. Just go, just pretend. It makes everything so much easier. Having a program, it just, it makes, um, I mean, listen, you do what you do. If you don't want to go, you don't go. But if you're struggling and you're looking for something, that shit is free and it maps everything out, it makes it pretty easy. Uh, to get your shit together. I've never done smart recovery or refuge recovery or any of those things, but uh, I hear that they can be successful too. Just go someplace where you could talk to some people and be a part of it. Make uh, What I always like to say is you make uh, your recovery your hobby. And there's this thing that happened uh, since Chris died. I've, um, you know, I think... There was a phenomenon that kind of happened after Chris died, which is everybody who listens to the show obviously freaked out. Downloads went up, and you know it was something that I would have normally loved to have shared with Chris, and it was very hard to not be able to share it with him. Um, and I'm trying to share it with basically anybody who will listen to me talk about it. So, I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you who are listening know uh, that I'm doing that right now. I'm talking to just about anybody that will talk to me about the show. There's like this great hole and I'm trying, you know, the the Chris-shaped hole that I'm trying to fill up with the Dopey Nation. And it has me on my phone a ton. 
And, and all of a sudden, I find myself like very dependent on the phone, like even more so than I was. And I was always dependent on the phone. And um, I knew it was a problem. I just didn't know how much of a problem it was until my daughter came up to me and she said, Daddy, I had this, I had this nightmare. And in the nightmare, I was in the front yard and I was playing and this weird man with a beard and virtual reality goggles came up to me and he kidnapped me and you were sitting on the front porch and I screamed for you to get me, but you were on the phone. And I was like, oh, like what a terrible thing to hear from your kid that, um, that they're kidnapped and you're looking at the phone. And I find myself like compulsively looking at the fucking phone. So that is something that I need to work on. I don't know if you guys are going through phone addiction and it's pathetic because how many people are like, look at this motherfucker on the phone and all of these animations of people like zombies staring at their phone. And I'm walking around Manhattan with my head in the phone. Also, my new job at work has me on the phone. Dopey has me on the phone. And it's like, I need freedom from this phone. And I think I might start using 12-step shit to get off the fucking phone. Um, I am going to play a voicemail. But actually, before I do, I want to tell a quick other story. I'm at work, and this guy I've worked with for a long time, Lenny, who's a fan of the show, comes up to me, and he goes, Yo, did you see this new show coming out on Vice? And I said, Vice? I said, no. And he goes, it's called Dope Sick Nation. And Lenny knows all about Dopey. And he's like, I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, it's about these two heroin addicts who are trying to get, you know, traveling the country, finding junkies to get them clean or something. And he goes, didn't you contact Vice? And I was like, yeah, I did contact Vice. In fact, I wrote Vice like four emails to their programming director and I said, you guys do shows about making drugs. You guys do shows about partying. You guys do shows about selling drugs. But you don't do any shows about uh, the repercussions of drugs. And I do this show called Dopey. And we have this fan base that we call the Dopey Nation. And I think it should be a show on Vice. And then basically a year and a half later, they come out with a show called Dope Sick Nation. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't know. Everybody at my job was sure that they robbed me. Everyone was at my job was telling me that I should get a lawyer to deal with this. And I called up Justin, who was actually on the last show, who was actually a big-time corporate lawyer. And he was saying that there is no case, but we should reach out to this dope-sick nation and... Um, and get them to participate with the show. They should buy ads on Dopey. They should tell their story on Dopey. And I said, okay, well, that's a possibility. And then I spoke to my friend Brad, who is totally pissed at me because uh, those of you who are in the hardcore, real listeners from the beginning know that Dopey was kind of a rip of Brad's idea in the first place. Brad wanted to do a podcast about drugs years ago, way before Dopey, but he wanted it to be like celebrity drug stories. And then when Chris and I started doing Dopey, 
you know, we had kind of mentioned Brad, but we didn't give him the credit that he deserves. And now Brad is like, you don't even use me in the origin story. You just tell people you thought of the show or you told me that Chris, you say that Chris wanted to do a project and you wanted to do a project. So you decided to do this podcast. But the truth is we stole it from Brad and Brad thinks that there should be some sort of war between the dopey nation and the dope sick nation. So you guys in the dopey nation, what do you guys think? Do you want to raise up arms against the dope sick nation? I think at least we should be writing some shit to Vice or Viceland and be like, did you come up with this idea independently of dopey? Or, you know, listen, there is an opiate pandemic. There is truly a dope sick nation. But was that not born in the fires of dopey? As you guys ponder this question, I am going to play a voicemail that I got from a dude named Chris in Austin, Texas. Wait a second. Before I do that, before I play Chris's voicemail from Austin, Texas, I called my father in. Dad, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, everybody. Now, you were sitting in the living room yesterday, and you read about this show on Vice called Dope Sick Nation. Dope sick nation. Do you yes. think there's a lawsuit here? I doubt it. What do you think? <laughs> I think I think that this is an epidemic, and there's a heck of a lot of people who are dope sick. So the dopey podcasts and dope sick may be two separate ideas with the same basis of this epidemic. You don't think there should be some sort of feud between the two parties? Where the, the, a jihad between the dope sick nation and the dopey nation. Well, knowing you, I think there's going to be a feud, but... Uh, well, that, would, I only, think, that I, would really depend on the dopey nation and what they're willing to do. Uh, yeah, I understand. But of course, I'm sure a lot of the dopey nation is actually dope sick right now. Correct. So Which, it probably shouldn't be a feud or jihad. No, actually, maybe you could work together with them. But what could they do for us? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you can get a larger audience if they would uh, promote Dopey. They're not going to promote Dopey. Well, I think I think uh, it's a possibility that uh, they may see they may see how good yeah, check the it program out. is. Not, I, this is why I don't put him on the show very well. Hey, listen, just, just, just sort of I'm, I'm telling you the no, truth. Just stop for a second. Imagine you're an executive. I mean, this, you really try to use your imagination. This here. is going to be hard. Yes, you're I'm, an executive <laughs> advice. And you get email after email from this, you know, confused, albeit very genius uh, man who has a podcast called Dopey. You mean you. I mean me. (laughs) Telling telling them of their business in terms of drugs, and they they do shows about celebrating drug use. They do shows about... If I was an executive, I would be very interested in you. Absolutely. My point is... They get the email describing the show, and about 13 months later, they come out with a show very similar based on the points that I gave them. I do you think it's a coincidence, or do you think it's based on the opening well, point? Well, now that you're saying you gave them points on how to... I wrote what, them email after email. Oh, now you're, now you're making your case here. That's, that's different. That's different than just having the name Dope Nation versus Dopey. But if you're, if no, you're, they're Dope Sick Nation. They're Dope Sick Nation is copy. Being what you wrote to them. Well, that's that sounds like this. Well, but I, my vision might not have been great. What I told them, <laughs> what I wanted to do was have a talk show for addicts, like Dopey. I didn't oh. want to travel the country and save dope sick people. True. So then it's then it's different. But in any case, uh, find out what uh, the dope, dope nation thinks about this and see what, what you know. 
Dopey Nation, what do you what do you guys think about this? All right. Do you have anything else to add? Uh, not really. Okay. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. And now the voicemail uh, from Chris in Austin. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think that this sounds um, suspect or what? Hey, Dave. Hey, Dopey Nation. This is Chris from Austin. Um, man, it's hard to... It's weird to not say, hey, Chris, too. It really sucks. I miss him. And so uh, I'm just driving right now to my to a HA meeting I go to, Heroin Anonymous. It's just like AA for junkies. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm actually a year clean today from heroin, um, but I don't count it as my sobriety date because they gave me Suboxone at Detox, and that's like six days later. So And I was a big-time Suboxone addict, so... Uh, who cares? We're just splitting hairs here. I'm roughly a year clean from fucking opiates, and I'm pretty grateful. And so, I've been a listener of the podcast for a long time. I've been on. I've had a couple of my voicemails, voice memos played, and so um, I thought, you know, the show must go on, as they say. So I thought I would send you in a little voice memo, Dave. And hopefully it's not too rambly. But it's just kind of a funny, lighthearted, dopey story of mine. Um, it's not real, real dopey, but it's definitely drug-fueled. <laughs> and it was um, a funny thing that happened the weekend before I got married, which was in 2014. And um, I had a couple friends come into town, and they had asked me, they said, do you want to do, do you want strippers and all that? And I was like... No, I really don't, because I really, I'm really not into all that. Like, I, 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 I don't like going to strip clubs, and I'm not into paying a girl to be hot and naked. Now, if if, if that's your thing, that's fucking awesome. If you're a stripper, that's even more awesome. Make that money. But, you know, just not my thing. I am a big time lover of MDMA, though. I mean, I use heroin and opiates to, to get right, but I use. MDMA and psychedelics and stuff to get high and to explore. And um, so all I wanted to do for the weekend was just take X, which I did all the time, um, and just go downtown and, and hit some after-hours techno place that I love. Um, Dave, I'm sure you're probably cringing right now, but Chris would Chris liked the tech, I think, a little bit. But that's my shit, man, the downtown... Um, you know, all night techno, just having fun with that, you know. So anyways, um, my friends are like, okay, cool. When we did that, you know, we took a bunch of, of tabs and we went down there and it was great, you know. we Like the first night we just did that and then the second night, Saturday night, we did the same thing. And then I saw them, you know, on their phones and they don't live in the city, you know, they don't live here. So, of course, I saw them on their phones. I'm like, oh, great, what are they looking up, you know, and they're like came up to me at about three in the morning and they're like because this place this techno place goes to like four thirty, five in the morning or so and they're like come on chris please let's go to a strip club please please and i'm like oh fuck all right dude there's not one gonna be one opened i mean i hope you can fi- if you can find one that's open fine whatever we i'll go you know but yeah i doubt you're gonna find one and so they came back like i don't know 15 minutes later and said we found one let's go and i'm like oh fuck all right I was just into the music, having a good time, and 
Uh, we get, get in my friend's truck and we drive somewhere. I'm really rolling hard, so I'm not paying much attention to where we're going, which I should have been. But I remember we're going to a seedy, you know, shady part of Austin. And I'm like, huh, this is weird. I don't know of any strip clubs up here. Of course, I don't know the whole strip club scene that well. And then, so we go in this strip club. And right off the bat, there's a dude with a wand and then there's a metal detector. I'm like, ooh, this is a red flag. <laughs> and by the way, we're all three white guys and we walk into this strip club and had the DJ been playing vinyl, the shit would have skipped because it was an all black affair and it was just so funny. My friends didn't have a clue and we walked in there and we were just so fucking out of place and I just healed over laughing my ass off because it was a, like a butt naked, like black strip club where all the, you know, just a black establishment now I, that's fine you know I, I, we are not racist at all and I'm sure those folks wouldn't have minded us staying a bit but it was just funny because they knew we were out of place and we knew we were out of place and it was just so fucking funny and my two idiot friends were just standing there for a little while and finally like maybe we sat there for like five minutes I was like you idiots ready to go <laughs> and they are like yeah let's go and so we left. I don't know. I thought that I always get a kick out of that story because it's just so funny. Um, and anyways, uh, also wanted to mention one thing about the podcast. It's, it's that I realized the other day um, is the all the shit you know you guys talk about and the dopey nation, all the stories and stuff. I, and it's primarily about IV drug use and heroin addiction. I can't believe nobody's mentioned anything about cotton fever. Huh? Dave, I know, have you ever got cotton fever? Dopey Nation, have y'all ever got cotton fever? Ugh. I'm, let's hear some cotton fever stories, because I got some pretty fucked up ones. I, I would always get it at the very wrong time. Like the time I shot, uh, did a shot of dope and then went into an AA meeting, and uh, it was the first time I got it. And I started shaking uncontrollably and like really really cold i was like oh man this this must be that cotton fever shit they talk about and it was really terrible i had to leave um so yeah i just i can't believe that uh has never been brought up on the show so maybe i'll be the first who knows so um i love you dave i love you dopey nation i love the dopey nation facebook uh group it's pretty awesome i'm in it and um stay strong dopey nation Toodles. Thank you, Chris. I love this guy, Chris. He, um, I don't remember his other voicemails, but I always like Chris's voicemails. I love Chris's tone. Uh, I love the story. I, I feel like I've gotten cotton fever, but like, I, I don't remember. I, I can't even, I can't access my cotton fever story. Um, I love his racially charged techno dancing MDMA story. Send in more stuff. Uh, everybody in the dopey nation. Um, number one, try not to do dope. Try not to die. Try to keep the dopey nation strong and alive by staying alive. Number two, try to keep dopey strong and alive by sending in great voicemails and sending in songs about dopey, preferably, or about drugs or something funny. You know, I, I want to hear your songs too, but stuff that makes gives the show value is really helpful. Uh, if you can do a prank phone call, prank a rehab center, prank a wellness community, prank a fucking yoga studio, 
prank uh, a Kratom store. Prank the GNC or whatever the place that sells vitamins. Prank your local library. Prank. And if you can use Chris's voice from Dopey in the prank, even better. Um, this is a very exciting moment on the show. Last week, I had the honor and pleasure of uh, interviewing uh, a drummer from one of uh, the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. I've been flirting with uh, releasing this interview. I'm sure the, the true Dopey listeners, Dopey Nation, know who I'm talking about. It's fucking Guns N' Roses drummer, fucking celebrity rehab alum, sober house alum, fucking Steven Adler. So buckle yourselves in. It is a long and bumpy interview. Get some popcorn, get some cookies, get some chocolate, get some flavored seltzer, unflavored seltzer, load up the vape, and here is Steven Adler. What's up, everybody? In honor of uh, big honors, we have the fucking... What? It's big honors. In honor of big honors, we have a very, 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 very special, special guest, international superstar drummer extraordinaire, Stephen fucking Adler. Welcome to the show. Wow, thank you very much for that greeting. And and how old were you when uh, you met Slash in, like, junior high school, right? Yeah, he was 12, I was 13. I'm six months and one day older than him. I read your book. I read your book while I was struggling with uh, with drug addiction. And, uh, oh, wow, that's good. that couldn't have helped. No, it did. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed your book, My Appetite for Destruction. I loved, I loved the book, and I loved hearing about just the beginning of, of playing. Like, you were, you were the drummer, he was the guitar player, and you guys admired rock and roll bands, right? Who did yeah. you love? Well, my favorite bands was was, was Queen, um, Kiss, definitely Queen and Kiss, and Journey. Love Journey. Um, I love I love sixties and seventies music. You love that big rock sound. Yeah, I love the big rock sound. I love the guitar, the melodic guitar, and and back in the sixties and seventies, those drummers. Learned how to play from drummers that were jazz drummers. Right. And the drummers back then, they had like a swing and a groove, you right. know. Once the 80s, everything turned into, you know, the ACDC beat. The boom, cha, boom, cha, right. boom, cha. Now, I, I listened to, you know, Peter Chris, who's a jazz drummer, and Roger Taylor. And Steve Smith from Journey, who's a jazz drummer. And they were all swingers. They like to swing. They're all swingers, dude. I'm a swinger. And like, and like, when you guys started playing, how quickly were you were you like getting high together? Immediately. Wait, wait, getting high? I mean, like smoking weed, whatever. Getting high. Oh, the, oh, the beginning. Oh, well, the well, beginning. I, I, I started smoking weed when I first time with my friend Robert James. At Winnetka Park, it's over Canoga Park over here in the valley. Uh, I was 11, and I found God that day. Every problem I had at home with my with my stepfather, my little brother, and my mother, it all went away. I never laughed so hard. I laughed so hard for so long that we went to the Taco Bell that was across the street, and I couldn't order my bell beefer with no onions. And taco no cheese. Okay, because I was laughing so hard. 
me, when I met Slash, the first time he smoked pot, he, I wasn't with him, but when he did, he got paranoid and freaked out. So he was, he, he enjoyed drinking alcohol and I enjoyed drinking or smoking pot. And so he never, never drank, you know, never smoked pot. So it was really, he would drink and I would take a sip off here and there. Oh, my grandfather had a, had a bottle of wild turkey that when he would come home from the bakery early in the morning, he would do a shot before he'd go to bed. And, you know, when, when we'd come over, we would ditch school and we'd go to my grandma's house and we'd do, a, you know, a shot of wild turkey and then pour a little water in there. You know, to make it like, so your like grandpa, grandpa didn't notice, didn't right? Right. Yeah, right. I, like now, now that I, I I'm an alcoholic, I mean, not practicing, thank God, right now, but knowing, but having been one, I'm going like, it's totally obviously you knew we were drinking off and putting water in. Right. <laughs> you cannot say that taste is so disgusting. You know it. But did your grandpa ever? <laughs> did your grandpa never said anything to you about it? He didn't he know it was you. No, he just never said anything. Do you think he knew it was you and and Saul? No, I, oh yeah. And oh, yeah. no, my grandparents. I I'm so thankful that when my mom, my mom and my stepfather kicked me out, that I got to live with my grandparents. So I grew. I left the hospital. I was born, and I lived with my grandparents for the first five years. And then I moved out to LA when I was seven, and my stepfather came. And then when I was eleven, when I was twelve, I moved to to L to Hollywood with my grandmother because my stepfather and my mom, they, my stepdad just didn't want me around. And so it was the best thing that ever happened was that one day I came home from school and all my clothes and stuff were on the sidewalk, and my grandparents came driving down the street to pick me up. It was probably the beginning. Of, of my whole entire amazing life. Because, because like a week or so after that, I met Slash. And said, look what all the amazing things we did. You, I couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for a, a nicer, cooler, more talented, funnier, most loving best friend to grow up with. You know, and that's one thing. I know that was then, and we're older now, and we've, he has kids. I have three kids, but they're dogs. Yes. You know, but, you know, he, that, you know, I wish I would have been a more, I thought, I personally, I thought we were going to be like Getty Lee and Alex Lyson. You know, they met each other in junior high school, they started playing music together, and they put a band together. They've been together for 45 years. And, you know, so I, I always thought that, that I was going to be me and Slash. Well, but on the upside is you made better music than Rush. So even... Uh, hey, 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 hey. I'm I, just saying. I, I, I'm, I don't know about, yeah. Dude, trust me. Alex, Alex Lyson is the greatest guitar player okay, ever. Okay? The shit he came up with. Those riffs, those songs rule. But I, then again... Slash and Izzy came up with some magic. I can I can do without Rush, and I'm a huge fan of Guns N' Roses, and I love you. And I and I know one thing. Thank you. You know, I never met you. I spoke to you on the phone a couple of times, and, and I wasn't a metal guy when I was a kid. You know, I, I yeah. love I loved rock and roll, yeah. and I really thought that what Guns N' Roses had, 
it's like we were it, it was a point in that mid 80s and there was this terrible barrage of this hair metal and these power ballads and and just like you know solos with too many notes for the sake of too many notes and, and then all of a sudden guns and roses appeared and i and and yeah. you guys looked a little like that but it didn't sound like that it sounded like rock and roll, and it pushed forward, and it was all about the swing of the drums and, and, and the way the guitar drove the music. You know, it was like the two of you, and then, and I watched it, and I always thought, I looked at Izzy Stradlin when I watched it, and I was like, this dude does not look like everybody else. There was just something about him that I was like, I just thought he was the coolest thing when I was a kid. He is. Izzy is the coolest guy. Besides Steven Tyler... And my bass player right now, Tanya O'Kell. Izzy is the coolest person I've ever met in my life. Now, okay. now, now, when you met Slash, were you already a drummer? Uh, I was. I actually wanted to be a singer, but I I could never barely learn. I could barely learn the English language. So the singing, as you can hear me talk to you right now, was just not going to work. Can you sing? And then, and then I got into. I started listening to Queen. I got into Kiss Alive 1 and 2 and Queen Life Killers. And I was all, holy shit, that, 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 that feel of the drums that it just that gave me was just, I was like, it was, it was like the uh, uh, euphoria. But here's a question, Stephen. How do they do that? They're, they're taking shit. Like, we, I would hang out at this club uh, when we were, I was like 13, 14, 15, and I called the Starwood. Right. It was on Crescent Heights in Santa Monica. And I would see, you know, I saw Nicky Six. He was the first person I ever saw on stage at a little club. And he is the reason I said, I want to do this. I saw Kiss in 77 at Magic Mountain before I saw Nicky. But seeing Kiss, it was just so huge. Right. And they looked like they were 20 feet tall, and it was just such a huge show. That's what, you know, 11, 12-year-old kid, it was like, that's just unreachable. And then, like, a year later, I, I went to, I would hang out at this club. Or one night, one night, me and Sash were walking by the club, Starwood, and we heard this music. And we go, dude, let's go check this out. And we went over, and we looked inside the VIP door, which was the VIP curtain. And the first person I saw on stage was Nikki Six. I didn't know it was Nikki Six. I just saw this guy. He looked like he was 12 feet tall with his hair a foot up in the air in black leather with a black and white striped base. I don't remember any of the, what the other guys looked like. I just remember him because he had this glow about him, this energy that was like, holy shit. He made it club I was a wow maybe this is it is possible you know to become a huge rock star but Steven Steven when you saw when you saw Nikki Six he wasn't even a huge rock star at the time he just had that aura there was a a band called London right and he just like his energy where he glowed right and it was awesome and the drummer they were those North drum sets. You know, they, they, they're they like macaroni-shaped kind of. I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I'm with you. Nikki Six and a North drum set. I thought, hey, I had a guitar, and within a week, 
he was playing, he was going, you know, from doing from one court to another to another to another. Within like a week or two, he was actually playing, you know, a whole song. And you and you were and you were starting to drum. And then I started play, playing the drums, but you know, playing drums in a farm is different. So I played on my my my, my, my grandfather's books, and I used those, you know, those, those suit cone hangers. They got that little wooden stick in it. Right. Those were my first drumsticks. That and I would use like my mom, my grandma's Tupperware. And you just had the knack, though, for it. You had a, you had a natural rhythm, and and would... I didn't have a natural rhythm. I just loved it, and I like when I said when I, I would go hang out at the store, I would watch these other drummers play. Like the biggest influence growing up that I got to learn from was Leonard Hayes from Y&T. Just they were back in the seventies. They were called Yesterday and Today. And I would be able to sit on the stairs that went up to the dressing room, and I could look right down, and I could watch him play. And I was like, he's taking these two sticks, and he does this with his foot, and he hits this thing, and it's that thing. And it just sounded and felt so amazing. I was all, I have to be a part of that. So I learned from watching drummers play. But Leonard Hayes was like the first drummer that I watched and I was all, okay, he did that to do that sound. He did this. And I just, I, I just took off from there. I had one lesson. I had the guy at the music store that I bought my drums at, my first drum set. I said, show me how to play Over the Mountain from Ozzy. Right. And it's basically one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, just faster. So, I said, if I could do that, I could play anything. And that was the beginning of everything. And that was the beginning. And, and, and when it's, you. And it's been amazing, crazy, fucked up, fun, exciting, unexpected, beautiful experience. And uh, and when you when you finally I mean when you were playing with Slash how much uh, drugs and alcohol were involved as teenagers like how high would you get how drunk would you get was that a big it part was, of it It wasn't it was never uh, I never seen uh, Slash throw up or pass out I, I mean growing up but when the band started happening he would piss the bed he would get so shit faced he would piss his pants. Which blew my mind that you get that fucked up. Uh, but back in the days when we were kids, I never seen him even throw up. He had that guitar consistently everywhere we went. He always had his acoustic guitar and was playing. We'd he was walk disciplined. Down the boulevard and he'd be playing, have his guitar. You know what, Stephen? Fucking many years ago. I was uh, a heroin addict, and I was making a TV show, and I actually got Me to, too. and I actually got to, in, <laughs> I interviewed Slash at Wetlands in Manhattan when he was touring with Snash's, Slash's Snake Pit, and uh, and I was all high, and I didn't mention and that I was, was all too. high. I don't know if he was high then. Was oh, he? Yeah, he was. Of course he was. I interviewed a yeah, lot of people back pit. then. He was high then, and um, so when when in because um, I know you guys started a couple bands, the bands broke up. You joined this Hollywood Rose, and you brought together Axel, Duff, Izzy, and Slash, and you. Yes, and, and we played around, we played together with 
couple different people. We just did everything we could to get as much experience as we could. And then at the right time, at the right moment, everything just fell into fell into place. Just felt into you know, just fell right into place. And it was easy. From, from rehearsal one. Well, that's the question. One, there was no effort made. You played it was just magic. You played in a ton of bands. The second that lineup was together, was it totally different? It was just obvious. It was obvious from the first note. It was just from the first note, and we finished the first song. We all looked at each other. We were all, "This is it." So, we so, all just had that look in our eye, like, "Yeah." This, so, is what we're, this, is, this is what I've been wanting. So would you say to somebody out there who's playing in a shitty band, if it doesn't sound that good, it's probably not going to happen immediately? No. I think <laughs> I say practice and repetition makes the master and play with everybody you possibly can. Right. The more experience you get playing with other people, the, 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 the more people you play with, the, more, the sooner you're going to find the right people to play with. When did when did the drugs infiltrate the band? Did you guys have a did you have the songs before the drugs? What happened first? Oh, no, the drugs were always going on. I myself, I would drink a little bit like if we went out to Rainbow or a club. You know, I would drink but I just smoked weed. And if somebody had, you know, somebody had a line of blow, I would do a line. But I wasn't spending my money on drugs. You know, I'd buy the only thing I would spend it on would probably be ten, twenty dollars on a bag of weed. But it was usually, you know, you know, some friend had some weed. That's all I did. I didn't get into the heroin until the last day of the Aerosmith tour. That's when I liked it. I did it and I liked it. Who did you do and it with? What was the story? And I had Steven Tyler. I went into the to the, uh, to the mean greet room where all these people were, Steven Tyler, who I love and adore more than anything, um, was, was talking with these girls and he was getting them because he's so funny. They were laughing their asses off. And Steven had this big smile laughing. And I was standing at the doorway, you know, this rock star with my arm on the door, you know, trying to look cool. And he looked up when he was laughing. He looked up and he saw me. And that smile turned into a frown and he I mean he took one look at me and he instantly knew that the, that look the look of that you are on heroin but where did you get and it from it just what was the story what was the I, story I heard what's that where did you get it what was the situation that you wound up doing oh, dope on the tour from, I, I, this old bass player friend of mine I was riding my scooter around and this old bass player friend of mine um was back was up by where the trucks you know come in up by the fence where the, the, the big trucks come to unload the gear and I had this little skateboard scooter and I saw him up there so I went up there and I said dude do you have any you have passes and tickets and he's all no and I used to wear that little fanny pack you know I was hip in the 80s yes and I pulled out a couple of tickets and passes I said dude come to the show tonight and then I said what, what are you doing now and he says, well, I'm going to score some heroin. And I don't know why. I can't tell you why, because I don't know myself. But I pulled out like 60 bucks and said, here, give me some too. 
And I did it after the show, and I liked it. The and first time you did it, did you snort it? it? You snorted uh, it the first I, time? I smoked it. Okay. I smoked it on the foil. Yeah. Because Izzy, I smoked it twice before. Um, Izzy showed me, Izzy showed me how to smoke it on the foil. Because him and her, him and Sats were shooting it up. And there was no way in hell I was putting a needle in my arm back then. Right. So it was just, that's fucking insane. So he said, well, you can smoke it. So I took like one hit and I was sick for at least 10 hours. I sat in his tiny little bathroom in this little, you know, you know, what do they call it? Bachelor pad fucking apartment above Hollywood Boulevard. So sick. And then the second time I did it was at Bob Welch's house. And I don't know why. It's like I forgot completely about the first time. And I got so sick again. And then this one time I asked, I said, what are you doing to my friend? And he goes, I'm going to get here. Know why? But I said, "Okay, me some too." Well, that's funny because it's and like it, it's like third times the charm. I remember the first time yeah, I did yeah, it, I got super sick or, too. Like, yeah, the third time I was like, "Yeah, okay, now I get it." Right. I had a warm feeling in your stomach, that mellow feeling, laid back. I was like, "Okay, I get it." But I fucking broke Stephen Tyler's heart, and that broke my heart. And I, I finally got to tell him that story like about three years ago at this AA meeting. And I told him, and he was like, oh, I, I totally remember that. Right. You know, so heartbroken. I said, I know. I saw the look on your face. It broke my heart that I broke your heart. Because he was this he hero. Was gonna give me, he was going to give me as a gift that, uh, that, that the outfit he wore in a video, Angel, yes. he would wear that. He had that white, the white, you know, one piece. Yes. He was going to give that to me as a gift. And because when he saw me like that on the heroin, I never got that as a gift. Because of the heroin, even though he was the worst junkie in the history of junkies. He was worried to death about me. He looked at me like like, with such fear and just worry. I mean, I I, I was like, oh, my God. My my heart just sank in my my stomach. I was like, oh. I just broke Stephen Tyler's heart. I don't know what I did, but I did. But look on his face. Well, he saw he saw a young version of himself making the same mistake. Yeah. You know exactly. How long had Slash and Izzy been doing dope at that point? Oh God, I do. This is how naive I am. Slash has been doing drugs, hard drugs, since we were at least thirteen years old. I had no fucking clue. That he's already done heroin. Yeah, he's already done crack. I, well, it's free based. I had no idea that he was taking pills. All I did was, you know, I had a couple, of, you know, drinks of, of whiskey, a few beers, I smoked right. weed. Right. You know, I had no idea to years, like decades later, that he was that he was doing all this. Shit. Put it this way: when we were, I spent the night in his house. And I thought we were sleeping in the same bed together because his little brother, uh, Albion, or Ash, was sleeping in, in his bed. So the whole night that I'm thinking I'm Sasha and I'm sleeping in, you know, in the same room or in the same bed, he was downstairs partying with his mom's boyfriend, but which she didn't know, of course. But he was down there partying, smoking crack. Dude, I had tunnel vision. Right. All I saw was practice 
pay your dues. Practice, practice, practice. Pay your dues. Play with everybody you can. Success. You want to, your dream, your goal, that being to put a band together that makes music just like the music that these bands that you love that make you feel so good. Just like, so I would have total tunnel vision. I just was, my eyes were on the prize. But the time, but the time, that third time you did dope and you were like, this is good. Yeah. What happened I then? I did I, oh, I just broke Steven Tyler's heart. And then I didn't do it again for probably another year or so. Right. I didn't go right back to it. We were, it was all, it was all, dude, there were, there were times where I had so much cocaine that I was all, I, I don't even want this anymore. And I would just give it to my tour manager. I would say, here, I, I, I don't even want this. This is, that's enough. Right. So when did that change? You know? When did it start to run you? They started to run me when they kicked me out of the band. It wasn't until they kicked you out of the band that it ran you. But, oh, yes. But I was partying. I was partying with, with Slash. I was, we were doing the heroin thing up at his house in Little Canyon. And we did it for like two, three months. And I didn't know that when you do heroin and then you stop doing it, that you get violently sick. Right. So after like about you know six, seven weeks, of you know bringing up money from the ATM and getting a little piece of heroin and him getting a big piece because I didn't know you know I'd pay for it and he would get this big piece and give me a little tiny piece but I didn't know the difference but after like six seven weeks of that I was like dude this is boring all we do is fucking lay around like zombies and so I went back home and then I got violently sick and I called my manager up, my tour manager. I said, dude, Doug, I'm fucking, I feel like I'm dying. I'm going to die, dude. Please, I need help. So he took, picked me up, he took me to a doctor. And the doctor, who had to have known, because he's a doctor, that if you, have, if you take an opiate blocker and have opiates in your system, that you're going to get even more violent. Well, why were you taking the opiate blocker at that, at that point? Well, no, he gave, the, I, I called him up, my, my, my tour manager. I said, I'm really sick. I don't understand it. He took me to the doctor. I said, I was doing heroin. Right. And the doctor, he gave me an opiate blocker at, while I had it in my system. Oh. So the, the doctor had to know, because he's a doctor, that you don't take an opiate blocker while you have opiates in your system. No, you get really sick. Or you get violently sick. Yeah. So I'm like so sick. Like I mean, if I if I could go to the bathroom, I, I was crawling on the floor. And and then Slash calls me up and says, "Dude, we're going in to record Civil War this week, this weekend, which was like in two days." And I was like, "Dude, I'm so sick. Please, can we just wait one week till we could do it?" And he was all, dude, we can't waste the money. And I said, hey, dude, both of us know somebody who's wasted a hell of a lot of money, a lot more money on other bullshit. And I said, you can't wait. It's one week. I'm so sick. So they're all, no. So we, I had to go in. We went to record Civil War at a Records. And usually every track that we've ever recorded was either the first, second, Maybe third or a fourth take. Right. I went in to do Civil War. I was so weak and I was so sick that it took me like 25 fucking times. 
And he kept saying, dude, you're just fucked up. And I was saying, I'm not. I'm sick. And I was telling my tour manager, tell these guys. And he wouldn't fucking tell them. So that's when I realized. Well, I didn't realize then. And I realized later on that they planned this whole thing out. Because the next day they had me go down to the office and sign these contracts. There was, they just said, said one thing. But it was really taking everything all my royalties, all my rights, everything away from me. Basically, they're going to give me $2,000 and throw me out on the street like I never existed. And we have already sold like fucking 15 million records. Well, Stephen, right though, Stephen, I, I have a lot of questions. But, but the first question is, if, the, if Izzy and Slash and Duff, Duff was on heroin too, right? No, Duff was the Coke and vodka guy. And, and Axel, Axel was just Axel was just insane. Oh, he did everything. Did everything. So why were you the one that was scapegoated when everybody had a problem? I, well, I, I, you know what? I, I, I think because everybody was so fucked up and everybody at that point had their own little circle of friends that weren't in the band, but were like their drug dealers and their yes men. Right. You know? Yes well, did you, did you have a crew of yes men? No, I just had my, my, my couple of friends. We just hung out. Do you I think, hung out with the road crew. I love those guys. When you road guys, the greatest. when you were recording Appetite and you were putting down this, those songs, you know, like Welcome to the Jungle and Sweet Child of Mine and Paradise yep. City and all these songs, were you high then? Like, was I stoned? I'm just, what were you on? Like, what was the deal? Like, was, oh, I, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I smoked a, I was smoking a little weed, yeah. And was slashing them on dope for that stuff? I'm sure. I'm sure they all were because they were all doing it back then. And and when you guys were making those records, was it like the greatest feeling in the world? We would play the song, and we would go into the, the sound the boardroom, and he would play it back, and we would just each other and go, "This is gonna be fucking huge. This is gonna be so huge. Everything that we dreamed about since we were teenagers." Is actually come to life, and we're listening to it. We're so happy. It was a band back then. The saying was, "Dude, doing it for the band. It's for the band." Right. And then it became, "Oh, it's for me. It's for me." Well, I also read that like there was at some point there was some American Music Award show, and you were in Detox. So like you were talking. I was in a fucking rehab and Glenn. Glenn Fry came Don Henley. Don Henley. Don Henley came in until then. <clears throat> that was the beginning right. of the heartbreak. And at what point did you tour with the Stones? Oh, God. That was 88, I think. And we did tour with them. We just did two weekends uh, at the Coliseum here in L.A. Actually, three months ago, I had dinner with Mick Jagger and Eric Clapton and Al Pacino. And Mick and I, we were talking about that show because Axel went out there and said, you know, I'm never playing with these guys again. They're all fucked up on heroin. And then three songs later, he falls off the stage. And Mick Jagger thought that was the fucking craziest, greatest thing. He said, I can't believe that GNR is leaving you and Izzy out of the band. Even Keith... Is it that much of a wanker and an idiot to not to not use the whole original band? 
Okay. That's what it was from Nick Schwartz. Can you do a little English accent, or is that as close as it's going to no, get? No, dude, I can't even speak English. If you understand, <laughs> I talk on my phone. You know, when you text, you could talk on it for yeah. texting. Yeah. You know what shows up? Question marks. Is that right? That's funny. A line of question marks. What the fuck did you just say? <laughs> I have more questions, though. Did you write the song Paradise City? Axel wrote all the words. And the four of us, it's Ashton Dawson, Izzy, and myself, wrote wrote all the music. Okay, so you have a you have a co-write on all those songs. Oh yeah. Well uh, most of the songs if you notice they start off with a, a distinct drum beat that stands out. Right. Okay. Well that's how a lot of those songs came together. Was I would be in rehearsal and I would do these drum beats and they would start playing with me. And then next thing you know we had a song. It was just so magical. Even even our worst shows that we played together were fucking amazing. Five guys with five different personalities, five different musical tastes. But when we got together, we had the same goal and the same dream. Here's another question. You're, you're a student of rock and roll history, correct? Yes, I'm a, I'm a fan of it, yes. What, is there a band that was a bigger junkie band than you guys? Can you think of one? Who, the Heartbreakers, maybe, with Johnny Thunders. Who else? Believe me, there's a lot of other bands doing shit. You just don't know about it. They're better, they're better secret keepers than, than we were. Well, they, they <laughs> right, right, right. And it kind of worked for our, 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 our uh, being the most dangerous band in the world. You know, being junkies, it just kind of worked for us. But trust me, there's bands that I've argued with that are like, holy shit, you guys are nuts. You gotta go, dude, Motley Crue. I don't know how they got on stage. They, those guys party so hard. The first night we played with Motley Crue, we toured with them. The first night, I got off stage and Tommy's all, dude, come here, Stevie, come here, I got something to show you, come here. And he takes me in these, one of these rooms, and it's got one of those, like, six-foot-long tables, you know, where the legs unfold. And there's two lines of cocaine on it. And he goes, you start that end, and I'll start this end. And we met in the middle. And he goes, oh, shit, I got to fucking go play in 10 minutes. I can't believe it. And we finished the line, and he went out there and killed it. It's so funny, like, like Sash and Izzy and Dove and Axel, like back in the day, they kicked me out of the day because I was doing drugs. That's fucking hilarious. That's like calling the kettle black. I was doing drugs with you. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy story. And after they that's kicked ridiculous. you... after I'm they, the bad guy. But after they so, kicked you out of the band, guy. that's where the fucking addiction really took hold, right? Oh, yeah, well, because... I was heartbroken. I found out later on in my years that I had abandonment issues. You know, like my real father left before I was born, and then with my stepfather, you know, throwing me out of the house. And then my band, who I thought had my back and had loved me, and they did that to me. Yeah, it's terrible. But so, but somehow, you forgave them. You know, but how long? How long? Years, but took me twenty years to 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 learn about you know not having resentment, because that was what kept me drinking and doing drugs was this resentment I had towards them. 
when I really I should have been, you know, it's, I, I, instead of instead of wasting, you know, my energy on this resentment and, and hurt and killing myself slowly, I should have gotten my act together. See, there was two ways to go: either get your act together, clean up, or go off the deep end. I mean, because you know, I had to go to court. I had to go to court, and, you know, I had to sue them for that contract damage time. So I had to see them in court. And I was like, how did you do this to me? Especially Slash. What would you know, he like, say? So it was heartbreaking. What would he say? So I, I, went, I went off, I tried to kill myself, you know, and, and doing drugs was, you know, sort of, you know, numbing the pain for, you know, hours at a time. But when you, when you, when you, conf- when you confronted Slash, what did he say? He said, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I said, I was fucked up. So this is when, when I was able to finally confront him. Dr. Drew got him together with me. And he had already been sober for about three, four years. And he said, I'm just so sorry about that. You know, I was just getting so high. I didn't realize what was going on, and and he apologized. And, and it's so funny how a, a sincere apology could make heartache go away. Right, because it was Words from the heart. Words are so powerful. Words are so powerful. Right. You're a scumbag. That's going to break my heart. I love you. I'm really sorry about what happened. And it made it go away. And it's like, I got my friend back. Right. What was the what was the ultimate bottom for you through all that stuff? Like, what was the final straw for you? With what the drugs? Yeah. Uh well, you know, they came out with with cell phones that have videos on them, and my wife was videotaping me getting fucked up and getting drunk because you know I would. You know, I would get drunk, you know, from 6 in the morning, I would drink to 6 in the morning to 6 in the morning. And she would tell me the next day, you know, oh, you did this and you acted like that and you did that. And I would say, I did not, I did not. And then she fucking videotaped me. And videotape doesn't lie. And I saw myself the way I was acting. And I was all... I, I got a chance. I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I can't believe I'm, the things I'm saying, the things I'm doing. So when you That's saw all. yourself, when you saw yourself, that was the change. Yeah, oh yeah. It is such a pleasure to wake up in the morning and not come to and not have to apologize or feel guilty or be ashamed of anything I did the day before. This way, I when this, I see the sun come up every morning. I wake up early, and I have nothing to apologize, nothing to make amends for, nothing to feel guilty about. And I go, it's a beautiful day. Absolutely. What, what crazy cool thing am I going to find? Thing am I going to do today? I was so tired, but the real even after all that, I went into the. Uh, Slash and my and my good brother, my my great friend Jeff Tilson, uh, got me into this uh, psycho hospital, and I stayed there for months. And the second I got out, I went straight to the bar and started doing Chachi Yeager. And I had to wait like two days to get out to, to get a flight out. So basically, don't tell us that I was just drinking every day. And then once I got my flight, I got home. 
I had the cab take me right to the liquor store. I got more booze. And the next morning, I continued doing what I was doing before I went into the mental hospital, which was up at 6 in the morning because that's when the liquor store opens, and walking to the liquor store. I did that the next day. Then the next day, I did it again. And I don't know what or how or what it was or why, but I would walk, I opened the front door to walk out to go to the liquor store at six in the morning again. And something just came into my head. That was, I guess they call it a spiritual awakening where the voice that always that had control over, yes, we're going to drink. Yes, we're going to party. Yes, I don't even know why they call it partying. I know. You just get sick. You just get sick. Uh, yes, yeah, you know, that voice that I was in my head that I couldn't shut up. I walked out my, I was walking out my door and some, some bigger, stronger voice in my head said, I can't do this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. And I went and I woke my wife up and I said, take me to an AA meeting. And I went to an AA meeting. And, and it's been four and a half years and within four and a half years, I I I I feel that if you're gonna you know be a part of of uh, recovery, you have to be completely honest with yourself, and and of course with others. Like when I go to meetings, I tell the truth. So I it's been four and a half years since I had that spiritual awakening, and yes, I am not perfect. Yes, I do enjoy smoking a little pot. I do. I dig it. At nighttime when the day's over, I, I like I my dogs. I watch Family Guy, and I like to smoke a little weed. Here's the question, though. But, but, what, it, but it, within, within four and a half years, four and a half years, over 2,000 days, there has been five, four separate occasions, not four binges, but four separate times where I did have a drink. I did take a shot of Jack Daniels one time. Then at one time I took a shot of fucking Jaeger. Why? Time. What was the what was the what was the situation? I couldn't tell you. I just know that I felt like I just needed a drink. I did it, and I realized how shitty I felt after it. And I went to my, my sponsor and I told them and he said, don't beat yourself up. The day, it's a brand new day. Let's start fresh. Stephen, when, so, but there have been. when was the last time you did heroin? Oh God, that was when I got arrested on a, on a celebrity rehab. Oh yeah. It's fuckers. Can you believe that? I'm doing a show about being a drug addict and doing drugs and they got me arrested because I brought drugs with me. It's like it's just like getting kicked out of a junkie band for being a junkie. It's exactly. to, it's, it's total yeah. bullshit. It's total <laughs> exactly. bullshit. Um, it was bullshit. It was just for drama. Well, it was but good drama. When's the last time? Dr. Drew helped me get off the crack, helped me get off the, 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 um, the heroin. I still had, I kept that problem with the alcohol. And I, I, right now, like I said, I'm honest. I have to be honest. 
Because the lie, the more the lies build up, and the shittier you feel, and then you feel like crap, and, and you probably end up, up end up doing something that you're gonna, you know, I'll regret. Of course. So I have to keep it honest. Nobody is expected to be to run to be to, to do this program perfectly. None of us are saints. Right. I got kicked out of an AA meeting last week because I mentioned that and I said that and about being honest and uh, and and, and dude, I got thrown out of an AA meeting sober. How the hell did you get kicked out of an AA meeting sober? Only I could do that. What happened Only, exactly? You get a, you, think, you give me a microphone, and I'm always an honest person. Well, what happened? Wait, why? You know, and I say what's on my mind. So tell me exactly what happened. Didn't like what I had to say. What did you say they exactly? Didn't like what I had to say. What did you say? I, don't, I have no idea, but it wasn't. It, they didn't appreciate it. <laughs> That's all. Who asked you to leave? Uh, well, one guy stood up and said, "Okay, that's enough." And I wanted to stand up and push him back down in his chair and say, fuck you. I didn't interrupt you when I when you were fucking chairing. Don't interrupt me. But I just said, okay, I can dig it. And that was it. I left. Steven, I does that outside. happen? I, to, I went out. I had a cigar. I just, I just said something that people then... That I guess touched the nerve. In you know, in L.A. I, 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 in L- I, 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 how would you say? It? I, I, I. You pushed I one of his buttons. I, I put I put somebody on the spot. I said you said this and that, and I, and I I gave my opinion, and that person didn't like my opinion, and got angry and stood up and instead of me, you know. Jumping on him and pushing him down and telling him to fuck off. I said, okay, I'm going to go outside. And I left. I had a cigar. Then the meeting was over. I came back in. I said, I'm really sorry, guys. I didn't mean to, you know, upset anybody. And they said, we love you. And I went on, and then we, I went home with Jeff, my friend Jeff Tilson. He took me. In Los we Angeles. In Los Angeles, are there a lot of confrontations during meetings? Because that doesn't happen in New York. I've never no, seen anybody no, get kicked no, but out. Some, but, but you see, addicts are, are very judgmental people. And see, when, 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 when I be honest and somebody isn't honest and I call somebody else on it, they take it personal and they, they jumped on me. You know, and... It, 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 it's just, you know, people, they're, the one thing I, I love about AA meetings is whenever I go, except for the last one, obviously, is I always leave feeling like a million dollars because I hear these people share and I go, Jesus, my life is so awesome, Com- you know, compared yeah. to what these people are talking about going through. I got nothing to complain about. So I love going there because it always makes me feel great. But there's a, so many judgmental people. Like 99% of AA people that I say, that I tell, I still, I still enjoy smoking a pot. They say, dude, you used to drink from six in the morning. You used to shoot heroin. You used to shoot cocaine. Okay? 
You want to smoke a little pot tonight? Smoke a little pot. There's always that 1% that go, well, no, that's not, you know, you're not supposed to do that. That's not, you know, that's not cool. I said, dude, you got your opinion. Thank God opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. I'm not going to take it personal. Did you ever try, did you ever try to not smoke weed? Did you try to, like, not do anything? Like, what made you smoke weed in the yeah, first place? I did. And what was the I, thing? I, I, of course I did. I it. It made me feel good. Like I said, when the beginning of this interview, when Slash first smoked pot, he got all weird and paranoid, like some people do. First time I smoked it, I felt fucking God. I was like, this is great. And I can still function and do stuff. But I usually just smoke at night, and you know, with my dogs. My dogs love to smoke weed. They see a little joy in their mouth. It's so cute. No, I'm kidding. When um when uh <laughs> when I was relapsing the last time, right, uh, and I was just smoking weed and I was taking pills and stuff. My my co-host, the guy who just died, would always yeah, say to me, he would say, "You can if you can smoke weed and not do heroin, that's fine." But the second you find yourself doing something else, you're gonna know you can't smoke weed, you know. Yeah. And it sounds like you've got your shit together with this thing, you know. Like, well, yeah, I mean, and I, I can't judge you. I just know that, like, for me, like, I'm happy being totally sober. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not judging you. For me, yeah, yeah, I like no, being no. totally sober. You know, like, hey, this is the most sober I've been in 30 years, and I'm happier than I've ever been. Right. In 30 years. Right, I can't judge you, you know what I mean? Like, Or I could judge you, but what's the fucking point? It's all about happiness and quality of life. Guys, they say if you want to talk about judgment, God's not judging nobody. If God ain't judging anybody, who who are you to judge? Right. I mean, if I tell you, you know, you're this and you're doing that and you're doing this, and I'm doing worse or the same thing, yeah, of course you could judge me. Sick compared to everything that I've done in my life and to myself. Would you tell the overdose story? Okay, well, I'm sitting on, I live in a century city in my, in my condo. And I was sitting on a toilet and I shot up too much cocaine too fast. I pushed the, I pushed the plunger in too fast. So the heroin or the cocaine, you know, just put me in a seizure and I fell on the floor and I started smashing my face on the tile on the floor and I knocked a couple of teeth out I, I, I cut open my chin I, I broke the bone in my chin and had a mild stroke Jesus and Christ and then when I got to the hospital I died I went to a place called some they call heaven, even though heaven is in your brain, is in your mind, in your heart and soul, where it was the most beautiful place I've ever been. I remember floating above my bed, looking down at myself, and then I went to another place, and it was the most beautiful place that had the most beautiful colors that they don't have on this planet. And this lady said to me, it's not time. And I was floating above myself again. And next thing you know, I woke up. Wow. And then it was like like four or five, six hours later. Wow. That's crazy. Um, How many times do you think you overdosed? Twice. What was the other one? 
The other one was we were working on uh, that Clint Eastwood movie, The Deadpool. Yeah. And we were doing, we did the, if you watch the movie, we're in, we're after Jim Carrey ODs, ODs, what we're talking about, ODing. Jim Carrey, he plays this rock singer and he ODs, and we're at the funeral. So you see us at the funeral, and then the next scene that you see us, you only see Slash and Duff and Izzy. And Slash shoots his harpoon through this door, this window, uh, and this door of a boat. And the reason I'm not there and Axel's not there was because after we did the first day of shooting, I met some stripper and she poured this brown powder stuff in my beer. And the next thing I knew, I woke up in a hospital. Axel was holding my hand. And I had, I had charcoal coming out of every hole in my body. And like I said, Axel was there crying. Well, what was and the charcoal there for? The charcoal, they pump you full of charcoal. And it sucks up all the poison. Wow. You know, all the, 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 the drugs and everything. So you're shitting and throwing up and blowing your nose of nothing but charcoal. Now, now I know this is going on forever. And for because of that one thing, that Axel was there for me, I will always love him and he will always have my support. Well, here's the question, and, I mean, Even though he threw me under the bus... You know, on this whole reunion thing, which isn't a reunion thing, I will always love him for him holding my hand and me coming to him and seeing him crying, saying, please don't die, Stephen. Please don't die. And I would go, I'm not, I'm not dying. And then he woke up and he was so happy and he hugged me. And for that, he will always be a huge part of my heart. That and what the five of us accomplished our dream and what we did that I'm so proud of all of us for you know doing what we did and I'm so proud of being able to know those guys and work with them and it was only a five year run but it was better than nothing no it's way you made history greatest five years of my life and I've known Slash for 40 years and I, I, I'm so thankful that Sash is still my friend. Well, here's another After question. 40 years. Real, real quick. You know, they got back together to do this, uh, what was the tour called? Uh, uh, not in this lifetime. Right, not in this lifetime. And, and, it, and they were correct. And it's correct. Not in this lifetime. Or there'll be a real junior Right. <laughs> so they're touring they're touring without you and without Izzy. Izzy, yeah. So basically it's 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 actual Rose featuring Slash and Duff. So when you show up to do you showed up in Rio, you showed up at Dodger Stadium, and I saw it and the crowd went insane when you played. And um it must have felt amazing to be in the spot. But did it also feel sad? What was the? What were you going through in those moments? The, the before and after were the sad parts because I was watching Frank, who was a great guy, an amazing drummer, play my songs wrong, right? Not even close, and 
it was very, but the, the playing part, to be able to look down and see Dolph and Axel and Slash, you know, Richard, he kind of looks like Izzy, so from a distance, right. I was just, I was just, you know, dreaming, I'm, I'm fantasizing that that was Izzy. I would love to do more of it with him. When, I would love to play more songs. When Duff, when Duff gets on the riser in front of you and starts playing it like that, why does he do that? Why does he stand because, up on the riser? Because he misses you? No, because we're rocking out together, and that's what rock brothers do. There it is. Um, now, when you show up at these things, do, what did you talk to Axel? Uh, I, yes, I did. I, got this, I gave him a hug. I shook his hand. I said, that was the greatest thing. I love you very much. Greatest thing fucking ever. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of that. And what does he say? Nothing. He made he grinned at me and walked away with his with his with his partner or whoever he was with. And uh, is is he is he sober? I know Slash is sober and Duff is sober. Yeah, I I have no idea. I have no idea. What they do, where they go, who they talk to, I am not a part of their life. Well, here's another question. So I really have no idea. I don't even know what Slash is doing. I mean, I heard he's playing um, some shows with the Slash, Slash's band, Um, but I don't know nothing. They, you know, um, unfortunately. I'm not allowed to be a part of their lives, or they don't want me to be a part of their lives, so. Why? I don't know, but I just have to accept it and keep living. And why? I will do. I mean, Slash, when Slash did his last solo record, he had you play on it, right? Yeah, but it's just a shame. It's because I just got out of rehab that didn't work. Right. And I was still under medication, so. I did a really crappy job, so I don't even know if that's that's really me, right? Or if they just, or if they just cut pieces that I did good in, right? But I was very, you know, it was just I was just happy that I was doing something with Slash, and especially Flea, because you know Flea was there, and me and Slash and Flea, we all went to junior high school, high school, grew up together. Right, that's so crazy. I just wish that I was mentally. And physically in better shape at that time. Right. What about what? Did you ever think about asking Izzy to start a band? I've asked Izzy to come and play play some shows with me uh, a couple times. Izzy is happy being Izzy, and, and Izzy has a talent for living. Okay, but he doesn't like play, right? He plays. You know, he does what he, he whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it. He wants to record a song, or a song he does it. He lives his life on his terms, and I idolize him. I wish I could be more like him. Where does he live? More free spirited. Where does he live? I don't know. There it is. He's a, he, he, uh, he's a traveling man. Well, he buys cars. He buys old cars and, and, and vans and trucks and fixes them up and just drives across country. 
You should sit him down for a jam. And I really appreciate you talking to me for so long and sharing so much of this adventure you've had. And you're an amazing, amazing musician, amazing guy, and, and so sweet. And I appreciate it. Real quick, do you like the Beatles or the Stones? I love them both. Simpsons or, the, or Family Guy? Family Guy. Michael Jackson or Prince? God. I know Prince plays it all. I, that's a tough one. Prince. Mick or Keith? What? Mick or Keith? Oh, Mick, of course. Chocolate chip cookie or black and white? What's that? Chocolate chip or black and white? Black and white. Uh, Carol King or Carly Simon? Oh, my God, Carol King. The goddess. Xanax or Clonopin? Xanax. Oh, Xanax. Suboxone? <laughs> Suboxone? Huh? I want a Mexican quail, goddammit. Fucking, you want to go for the old Mandrakes? Um, fucking uh, Suboxone or Methadone? Oh, oh, that's Suboxone. Ah, uh, Suboxone, because Methadone's a fucking bitch to get off of. Yeah, I got off that shit. Oh, my God. That was a hundred times worse than heroin. Smoking weed or vaping weed? Smoking weed, baby. Smoking token. Nirvana or I'm Pearl a Jam? Smoking token, Yeah, you're not a vaper I and a. Loving on the run. <laughs> Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Nirvana, all the way. I personally think Kurt Cobain is was Jimmy Hendrix reincarnated. You really think that? Dude, listen to his plan. Listen to the sounds that he made out of that guitar. He was left-handed. He sang. With lyrics that nobody else was could come up with. But he couldn't or, play. Or, or he couldn't play. Gene. He was, was a songwriter. I, I, I first fell in love with Nirvana when I heard. I don't know the name of the song, but he says Kurt Cobain goes, "You're so ugly, but that's okay because I'm ugly too." And I said, "This guy's a fucking genius." And I fell in love with him. You think he's you more? Listen to the sounds he makes. You think he's Incredible. more? He's more Jimi Hendrix than John Lennon, though. Oh yeah. Oh, Jimi Hendrix. Dude, listen to the sounds he makes on that guitar. The way he uses the whammy bar. That's true. And shakes his guitar. He was probably one. He was probably the best guitar players of, of the nineties. All right, we're back in my questions. Hold on, John or Paul? Wait, what? John or Paul? Oh, John. I had to say John. Acid or mushrooms? Mushrooms. Biggie or Tupac? Neither. Spaghetti or penne? Spaghetti. Hanukkah or Rosh Hashanah? <laughs> Hanukkah. All right. <laughs> At least I get a gift. Paul Simon? Paul Simon or James Taylor? Oh, my God, I love them both. You can't pick? Paul Simon, Paul Simon. Okay, fucking uh, Bob Dylan or Donovan? Oh, I love Donovan. I like Donovan. All right, you did very well, Stephen. You're amazing. I love you. (laughs) What did I win? What's my prize? Nothing, just my love. All right, thank you. This was all what I... I always wanted that. Well, you got it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you Thank putting up you with me. Brother, Dave. 
Have a wonderful night, and thank you so much, sir. Thank you, and I hope I see you sometime. That would be amazing. You will. I, I, as soon as I see you, you're getting a hug. All right, I Stephen. Love you, love you too. You too, man. Thank Take you so care. much. Thanks, bye. Total fucking thrill to have uh, Stephen Adler on Dopey. I grew up listening to Guns N' Roses. I remember um, just that music moved me. Uh, Stephen's book moved me. Fucking very generous guy, very kind guy. Spoke to him on the phone before he ever called in, and uh, just a really nice man. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. I hope you come on again. It will be awesome. He has a book coming out called, like, Stories I Don't Remember, which would have been really funny to talk about on Dopey, but we're going to talk about it next time, where he has people sending in fucking drug stories that happened to him with the people that he doesn't remember. He has, like, a website where you can go to the website and and tell a story that he doesn't remember, which is very, very dopey. Now, I want to read an email. Um... It's from a guy named Quincy Gray McMichael, and I just really like this email, and I just wanted to read it. It says, Hey, Dave, I hope that this email reaches you and that life is treating you well. You are doing a great job keeping the dopey magic alive, though I know you miss Chris more than any of us dopes can really know, even though we miss him too. I'm, and I know that. you know, I do miss Chris uh, a ton, and I do know that you guys miss him too. Uh, he was so good on the show and he was obviously one of my best friends and, uh, and the show was just so easy and fun with him. So, uh, I love Chris, totally miss him. Anyway, back to the email. Um, blah, blah, blah. Even though we miss him too, I am writing to let you know about an upcoming event. Granted, it is in West Virginia, so you may not be able to attend, but if you can, you are my guest, uh, and we would love to have you attend gratis, which means free. Um, Healing Appalachia is an annual concert whose mission is to fight opiate addiction in Appalachia. Due to a number of generational societal issues in this area, not to mention the ruthlessness of the disease of addiction in general, West Virginia and the surrounding states are undoubtedly afflicted. I recall hearing a voicemail from at least one West Virginian member of the Dopey Nation on a recent show, and I know there must be others too. That was Jake from West Virginia with the Amazing Good So Bad uh, cover. Regardless, this is a show and a cause worth traveling for. I am posting the lineup below, and we have been contacted by even more notable acts for next year. We will have speakers in between sets, all-day meetings, and vendors with food. There is also camping available on site. If you are willing, I would appreciate it if you can mention this on Dopey in case anyone is interested in coming. Anyone who is curious can follow us on Instagram at Healing Appalachia, Facebook at Healing Appalachia, or buy tickets at the website HealingAppalachia.org. As a board uh, member, I manage the social media so dopes can reach out uh, that way if so inclined. Thanks again, and keep up your good work, Dave. Make today a great day. Q. Um, yeah, so I love that. Healing Appalachia. I don't think I'm going to be able to go, but um, maybe next year we could do some sort of dopey event at Healing Appalachia and really get it going. Um, let's just... Some of the people who are performing are Tyler Childers, Childers, Kelsey Walden, Justin Wells, The Wild Rumpus, Half Bad, Blue, the Half Bad Bluegrass Band, or is it the Wild Rump is Half Bad Bluegrass Band? I wonder. Tickets 30 bucks. On the day of show, it's 35 bucks. Jake, 
You should fucking get a gig on this thing. You guys should book Jake. It's fucking good. Anyway, thank you, Quincy. Love that email. Love the invitation, and I love that it sounds like a really good cause. Um, I'm going to play another voicemail. I have so It's like one thing that Chris always would say on the show is the backlog of voicemails and emails, and I just... Um, it's true. You know, after he died, uh, like I said before, I went nuts on the phone. But even so, like, I was just perusing some of the old emails, and there are so many people uh, that reached out right when he died, and I was, like, pretty crazy. So I didn't really respond to everybody, and I didn't uh, read a bunch of them. But hopefully um, I'll be able to play more. Now, this e- this voicemail is, like, the sound quality is so bad, it'll make Chris roll over in his grave. But it is from uh, old school Dopey Nation member and contributor, this guy Daniel Heron. If you guys remember, he has a podcast called Released Into Captivity that Chris went on. Chris and Jed from Church and Other Drugs went on his podcast. And he did one of the best Dopey voicemails ever, where like he had robbed somebody of jewels and he hid out in some girl's lawn it was just a classic classic voicemail now this voicemail is a great voicemail except the sound quality is terrible but uh ignore the sound quality hear daniel's heart talking to you and uh here he is what's up dave it's so weird man like i i always used to just say what's up chris what's up dave just so that you know you would get your feelings hurt that I didn't say day first. <laughs> you know, and I I, uh, I was sitting one, you know, a few weeks ago talking to one of the brothers in the in the fellowship, and uh, and I saw on Facebook, you know, that Chris was gone, you know, and uh, and you know, I, I I never met you guys. I always wanted to go to New York and meet you guys, and I never had a chance to, you know, I mean, I'm early in recovery, I'm 14 months, and almost 15 months, and you know, it's been a bumpy road, but, like, if it wasn't, <laughs> like, if it wasn't for you and Chris, like, I never would have done Released into Captivity, and even though I've been slacking off on it, you know, life happens, and I, I just, I never would have done it, man, you know, I used to text back and forth to Chris, and he would just tell me, just do it. You know, just do it, man. Forget about how good it is. And just like Dave, you were saying how you used to get, you used to know that Dopey sucked, and and Chris would just be like, whatevs. You know, like whatevs. He was like, just do it, man. Just put it out there and just do it. And and I didn't realize, I didn't realize until you know much later on, like how important your guys' podcast was to me really early on in recovery, you know, those first 30 days, 60 days, 90 days when shit's just crazy in your head and you just want to get high, you don't know how to live any other way, and just listening to, listening to you guys and, you know, hearing Chris's crazy ass stories, you know, made me feel a part of, you know, it made me feel like it feels when I go into the rooms, like I'm not the only crazy fucker out there, you know, that I, I just... Uh, it's just, it's just sad. <laughs> it's just sad, you know. Like, so I had Chris and Jed 
come on to my show, and I think Jed had it on one of their episodes. And I remember Chris tells the story about Orange County Jail because that was sort of our connection. Orange County Jail in California, you know, and he's telling a story about being on a bus ride and, you know, like they had the women segregated in a cage in the front of the bus and the men would be in the back of the bus and like uh, <laughs> how these, you know, a guy and his girlfriend were there and anyways he finger bangs her through the cage. It's like chicken wire. And I remember after that episode, man, I was just, after we recorded, I was just torn like, do I really want to play this story? I don't know why it bothered me so much because I'm, I'm brutally honest, you know, with my recovery and with people, but it just was like, my mom listens to this, so I wanted my mom to hear this. But the reality of it was that it was true. Like, because I'd seen that stuff happen on County Bus. Like, that was the hard truth that that shit happened, you know? And the hard truth is that this shit happens, man. Whether we like it or not, it feels like shit. You know, your friend is gone. I consider him my friend. He's gone. This is the hard truth of this fucked up disease, man, is that we're all eligible. Every one of us. No one is above it. Like, if you think for one second, Dopey Nation, that you have however many years, I don't give a shit how many it is. If you think for one second that that you're beyond a relapse, that it's not going to happen to you, you're fucking nuts, dude. Like, that's your disease talking to you. Like, you need to call someone and you need to talk to someone because that is a lie. Straight up lie. Like, we are all eligible, man. Like, I can blink my eyes and be loaded. I can blink my eyes and my arm will be at the end of a needle in no time. And that can be my last one. And so, like, it, 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 it fucked me up because... Like, my best friend relapsed, I have one sponsee, he relapsed and ended up in rehab, and at the same time, like, I look on social media, and, you know, Chris is gone, you know, and so it had me fucked up, but thankfully, like, I'm not alone, you know, like, Dopey Nation, you're not alone, like, if you're, if you're out there, and, you, and you're just barely getting clean, like, you're not alone, if you're out there, and you just relapsed, you're not alone, if you're out there getting loaded, you know, like, that's what we do, man. Like, I know there's not going to be judgment from Dave. We maybe a little bit, but we'll reflect and realize that we were right there, you know. And it really helped me because I feel like I've been in relapse mode. Not, not really to get loaded, but just with other things, people, places, and things. And my life is fucking good. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive to Sacramento tomorrow and I'm gonna do what I do what I love to do and advocate for criminal justice reform and it wasn't for you guys encouraging me to do this podcast I don't think I'd be doing that because as a result of my podcast I ended up in an elevator with the guy that was the policy leader of a team that goes and advocates for change especially for young people and now I, I advocate for policy change, and I get to go and advocate in front of lawmakers. And if it was be, if it wasn't for Chris and Dave's podcast encouraging me, and for the ones on the county jail episodes, I wouldn't be doing that, man. And that service is a huge part of my life and my recovery. So I I fucking love you, Dave. You know, and uh, I just I love you, man. And and I miss Chris and. 
look, man, you're not alone out there, Dopey Nation. You're never alone. You can call someone. You can go to a meeting. You're never alone. Stay strong. Peace out. Love that fucking voicemail, Daniel Heron. Thank you so much. So powerful. Um, for real. You know, we've all been there. And, um, and no, I wouldn't judge you. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, I feel for you guys. And, um, and I wish that this hadn't hap- had to happen the way it did. But, um, and I hate to say that Chris dying really carries the dopey message, but it really actually does. Um, Chris had his shit together. Chris knew everything. Chris had just the greatest life on paper ever. And he wasn't, uh, satisfied and he missed using and, um, and he used and he died. And I think that is an amazing message for you guys to, uh, pay attention to. And I'm going to leave it with that. Um, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Stephen Adler. Thank you, Chris from Austin. Thank you, Quincy from West Virginia. Thank you, Dopey Nation. Thank you, Dad. My dad came through, as always. Thank you, Dope Sick Nation. What are we going to do about the Dope Sick Nation, guys? What are we going to do? What are we going to do about Artie? You guys writing reviews? You guys sending in voicemails, emails, Reddit, Instagram, Twitter? Fucking A. Buy a hat. Who's buying hats? If you buy a hat, send in a picture because I want to like post the pictures of you guys uh, in your hats and I'll dopey out the eyes if you want. Um, we're going to be shirts. There's going to be crap. Live dopey is uh, totally postponed. I knew it was going to get postponed and she was like, no, the club is opening on October 20th, but it's not. It's totally postponed. Who knows when? To be determined. Maybe I'll rent a theater. Dopey Nation, talk amongst yourselves and see what you think. So uh, stay strong, everybody, and toodles uh, for Chris, and uh, we love you, and love you guys, and uh, keep your heads together. Bye. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be so good, so bad, so bad, I want to be good so bad, bad desire's all I ever had, and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to where I stand, shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find, and I wanna be good so bad.